It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, this is your host, Paul Etzbitter Jr., and I'm here to remind you that if you have access to iTunes, we ask that you rate and and review the show that way we'll be able to climb the charts and continue to deliver bigger and better guests so that we can continue the educated hustle journey and now let's start the show welcome to the educated hustle podcast this is your host, Paul Expeditor Jr. and my co-host, Emilio Porter. Emilio, what's going on, man? It's going good, man. It's going good. We're back at it again, man. What what can you say? We're powering through yes, these episodes. Sir. Yes, sir. And I just wanted to give a special shout out to the Smart Brown Voices podcast for having us on the show, hosted by Mr. Mike Street. If you look on his website, we are the number 78 episode uh, titled Educated Hustle. So check us out if you want to get a little bit more content. Exactly, exactly. And honestly, we had an episode up on our Facebook page, Educate Hustle, in case you forgot. We have the link to it there. We also have it on our Twitter page. And if you want to do the hard work, all you got to do is go to iTunes Podcast and search Smart Brown Voices, all one word. It's, it's easy to get misled, but yes, it's all one word by Mike Street. And it's just a phenomenal podcast. He, he always highlights a lot of great, smart, brown voices. And we're just so, so honored that he included us on the list. Yeah, and um, in the earlier days when we when I was looking up guests, um, I found his podcast by just a simple Google search, and it's amazing that uh, his he was able to you know be at the top of of uh, of Google by just simply searching like uh, like black podcasts or um, directory for black podcasts. So he's been able to you know get a little community together, and uh, it was great that he was able to put us on the show. Um, I really appreciate that. Right, as he was able to corner the market. But, you know, from one great thing to another great thing, we have a great guest today, Ms. Reese Palmer. She's a singer, songwriter, very entrepreneur-style woman. She's going to tell us a wonderful story of, like, redemption, joy, harmony, and freedom. I, mean, I don't know what it is about musicians that we get on the show, but it's always it's always something with them and, and the record label, man. Like, it's I guess it's an industry thing, right? Like... You never think about it with all the big celebrities in music now, but you know all the people that we get on uh, the the small time, but making it making us a living. There always is like issues and beef between them and their record label. It's like a common theme, right? Yeah, I definitely believe that, and it's crazy that um, when you're a musician, your music is not even yours. And 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 Reese got to the point where she couldn't even put music under her own name because she didn't own it. Yeah, so. I mean, I don't know what I would do if I didn't know my own name, bro. I mean, you 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 pretty much lost your identity. I know, and your name's unique. Like that they 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 just took that from you. Like, <laughs> that's not a name you could just you could just put together like that. No, nah, but it's crazy. I mean, I've seen it through, you know, um I've seen it through different industries, you know, just to throw it back uh wrestling. Uh, there's a there's a group called um, the Dudley the Dudley Boys. 
And when they left the biggest wrestling company in the world, WWE, they couldn't use the Dudley Boys name and they had to call themselves something lame and generic like the D Boys or something like that. But it it, it, it happens. And then if you want to get even more meta, I'm sure some of our listeners know, some I know, but there's a there's a rap issue between, you know, Remy Ma and Nicki Minaj and one of the one of them, Remy Ma, has basically made a claim that Nicki Minaj, because of her contract, she actually gets less money than she would get than Remy Ma because Remy Ma basically owns her masters, which is she owns her songs and Nicki Minaj doesn't. So um, it's definitely a, a very common thing in the musical industry. And just to even preface it even more, we talk about um, Chance the Rapper and how he's independent. He owns all his stuff. And that's why he's making such a big noise because he's able to do all this and not have to put money in anyone else's pockets but his own. But yeah, uh, Reese goes and details actually how she kind of dealt with that situation, how she got liberated, how she came back for the good fight, and how she's even more excited now for the future and the stuff that she's going to be doing. So you kind of get a full 360 deal. You get this young upstart musician who, you know, a little bit naive, doesn't know everything, and then she turns it around and becomes the strong powerful family woman she is today so i mean honestly you get a full dose you get chapter one to one to 100 and the book's still going so it's, it's <laughs> definitely a great experience to listen to yeah and another thing i want to highlight is that she you know is a is a black woman who uh tried to get the get through the uh, industry of country like the country mm-hmm. music industry um which is crazy she has some pretty powerful statistics on on how many black women actually charted uh, the the the, ch- the music charts in in country? I mean, it it's 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 startling to see that she was the first uh, black woman in twenty years uh, to get a song on the charts. Man, I mean, I, I didn't even really think about it because like I don't listen to country or anything like that. But um, that's just crazy that there there's not really much diversity out there. Yeah. It is. It definitely is. But I mean, you know, not to get too deep, but I feel like country, people know what it is. It's the niche. Like, there's a certain trend in country, and it's, it's kind of always been the status quo. But it is definitely great to see that a woman like Reese was able to kind of disrupt it. But, you know, that disruption came with some, you know, consequences and life experiences. I'm not going to steal her thunder because, like I said, she gives you the full-on expose on her her journey but yeah man and, and i'm proud of her salute her because she did it in a genre that you know i if they had to me a banjo or a guitar and said boy sing some country i'd be like i don't know man let me uh <laughs> <laughs> let me get on a microphone and then spit something maybe but i don't know if i got the country in me but Whew. yeah I, i'm not a I, I'm, I'm with you on there man i mean there's shout outs to her and, and this is a great interview. I mean, I think you guys will be entertained throughout. So, you know, let's jump right into it and give you Miss Reese Palmer. All right, folks, and we are here today with Miss Reese Palmer. Reese, how you doing today? I'm good. How you doing? I'm doing fine. And we just want to start off by saying thank you for joining the interview and uh get on to it. So we wanna we wanna know. How did you get into the industry? And just give a little bit of background on who you are and, and uh, what you do. Um, okay. Well, my name is Reese Palmer. I am a singer, songwriter, performer, um, mother, wife, maker of spaghetti. 
Um, (laughs) And I have been in the music business professionally since I was 16. Um, So for about almost almost 20 years. Yeah, almost 20 years. Um, How did I get in the business? Well, first of all, I knew that I wanted to sing, like, shoot, from the moment I knew that it was a job. Like, as soon as I saw that there were people on television singing and there were people on the radio singing, I was like, I want to do that. So, um, yeah, I've known, I've known since I was like five. Um, I started singing in church and in school and um, constantly around my home, um, almost to the point where it drove my parents crazy. And uh, I started, um, like I said, professionally when I was 16. Um, I joined a singing group in St. Louis where I'm from. And uh, they were like, it was like Team 11. It was like a Mickey Mouse Club type of thing. And we were sponsored by a local television station there. And I got paid to sing. And we would sing at fairs all across the country. Um, We would sing at corporate events. We would sing at events around St. Louis. And so, like, my first job was singing. And I got a paycheck every week. It was awesome. And when I was 19, I got my first publishing deal in Nashville. Um, I guess I should explain the country music part. my mother was a huge Patsy Cline fan. Um, my parents loved music, even though they're not musicians. They loved music, and I grew up listening to some of everything. Like we listened to Aretha Franklin, we listened to Phoebe Snow, we listened to Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers, and just a really nice mixture of music. So nothing ever seemed weird to me. Like it always seemed like the normal thing. Like, well, everybody listens to this. So I knew also from an early age um, that I loved the storytelling of country music. So I was like, I think I want to be a country singer. And um, I met managers in St. Louis and we decided that we were going to pursue the whole country thing. So we moved to Nashville and I got a publishing deal when I was 19 and I started writing songs for myself and for other artists. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm what's known as an overnight success because I was in the business for like seven years before I got a record deal. And, um, I signed my first deal when I was 25 and worked on my debut album for two years before it was released in 2007. And, um, it was a self-titled album, Reese Palmer. And yeah, and I've been writing and playing shows and releasing music ever since wow that's a that's a training right there i feel like you held my hands <laughs> as you took every pivotal milestone so that's that's incredible i want to get back to, yeah <laughs> yeah i definitely want to highlight um you know you used to specialize in country music and i'm sure as you became aware when you knew growing up like that's not really a genre that's kind of known for its female black artists could you kind no. of tell us like um <laughs> <laughs> some of the obstacles you've overcome and how you had to keep and how you kept yourself motivated to succeed despite the stigma and country. Well, I think um, as with all things, when you're the, the first at something or not necessarily like, so let me clarify first. I'm not um, the first black female to do it. Um, 
there was a woman that came before me and I want to highlight her because she was, you know, a pioneer for me, a woman by the name of Linda Martell, who came along right after um, Charlie Pride in the 60s. And she, you know, put out, I believe, five or six singles and she put out an album and she was like very successful. But unfortunately, for whatever reason, she didn't go over the same way Charlie Pride did. So she didn't put out any music after that. And so when I released my first single in 2007, I was the first black woman in 20 years to chart any music on the country charts. And um, I would say, I guess my biggest obstacle at that time was just trying to get people to take me seriously. Um, I think a lot of people had, and I'm not really sure why, to be perfectly honest with you, I think a lot of people thought that it was a gimmick. And thought that I was just, oh, she's just using this for the press and for the notoriety. And, you know, she's just using this to cross over to pop music. And I used to laugh, like my manager and I would talk about that. And I was just like, God, I think I could have thought of something easier to do to try to get over than try to get into mm-hmm. country music first. But, um, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of questioning of my motives and questioning of my authenticity and my sincerity. Um, you know, like people, we would go on radio tours. So for people that don't know, when an artist is new, they take the record label takes you on a radio tour. And so you go and you meet radio programmers and program directors and music directors of each major ra- uh, radio station in all the major cities. And you play for them or you'll like play for them live. Or you'll play, like, they'll invite listeners in and you'll do a little mini concert for them. Or sometimes you just bring lunch and meet the staff and just sit around and talk and, like, just literally, like, play the record for them. And um, during a lot of my radio tour, you know, people would, like, quiz me on country music that I liked and, like, that sort of thing to be like, aha, like, you don't really like country music, you're just using us. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, like, and I never got caught up because I really do listen to the music. I really did listen to the music. And so I think a lot of times they would be surprised at how much I knew. And I would tell them things that they didn't know. So, you know, a lot of it, it, it was um, it was a lot of that. Um, I actually did have one radio programmer who I'm not even sure he's even in um, radio anymore, but I had one radio programmer flat out say that he would never play a black female on his radio station. So for us not to even bother to come visit. And, um, you know, there were, there were, there were some like that, or just people that would give you the runaround or find any reason why your record wouldn't work or why, you know, they didn't want to play you. Um, Country music is interesting because they have, there's a female issue as far as you will hear for every five males on the radio, you will hear one female. And, um, you know, add to that being black. And, you know, there were, there were, there was a lot of, um, it was, it was a big hill to try to climb. Mm-hmm. And um, the only reason I was able to, um, to do the things that I did was because I really love the music and I really love 
being an artist and, and singing and I love what I do. So, you know, I almost at this point, like, I think every artist gets to this point where like rejection is almost like your fuel. And so you're like, okay, tell me I can't do something or tell me no. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to come back even harder than I did before. So I just used it as, as fuel. And I was like, okay, well then let's go to the next station and let's blow them out of the water. And yeah. So, I mean, like that's, I guess the fact that I'm just stubborn <laughs> is what helped me uh is what helped me persevere so yeah and that's all good that's always a good quality to to be able to overcome your doubters i'm sure you uh i'm sure you had a great feeling once once you knew that you were validated in the industry yeah i mean i'll be honest with you like i think um i my biggest regret about that time was that i think too much time was spent on the fact that i was black Mm -hmm. And, um, that was for a while, that was all anybody wanted to talk about. So once I got on the charts and, you know, it, it became public that, um, and I forget how that started, but once it became public that I was the first black female in like 20 years to be on the charts, then that was all anybody wanted to talk about. And I was getting all these interviews and I was, you know, I was, I was talking to Newsweek and I was in Wall Street Journal and I was in Vibe and like all these major publications. And for a while, that was all anybody was talking about was just, so tell us how it is to be black mm -hmm. in, in, in this industry. And, and what is it, you know, tell us about that. And how is it being a black female? And no one wanted to talk about the music. No one wanted to talk about the fact that on my debut album, I co-wrote all but one song on the record. And, um, you know, and that I was a I was a guitar player and I was, you know, all these other things. And so, I, I, you know, if I had it to do over again, we wouldn't have talked so much about me being black. Like, very clearly, I'm black. I'm very proud of it. And that's who I am. But, you know, let's talk about something else. I just, I feel like most artists, when they get to come out, like, especially, for example, like, if I was a white female, then we would have talked more about, okay, so where are you from? What is the inspiration for your music? And, like, all the artist questions, like, artisty questions, instead of having to take on, like, these very heavy topics of just race. And mind you, they needed to be talked about, and I was glad that I was able to kind of bring some of those issues to the forefront, but... After a while, it just that became the focus and you could almost forget that I was an artist. And so it didn't matter if I was good or bad at what I did, because it was just like, here's the unicorn in the room. Let's talk to it and ask hmm. it how it feels about being a unicorn. And so, yeah, I think like a lot of times the, the art got lost in some of the hype. And that's crazy because it's, it's kind of like how could that be such a big thing when it comes it should be about the music you know that's what your passion and your love is for um, right I kind of want to segue that I mean you know you already said it earlier so let me like, I want to dig more into it you are the first African-American woman to try a country song since 1987 with your debut single you know country girl you know yes. going off what you just said and then just the emotion at that time could you describe like what that moment meant for you and how has that kind of helped like make you driven for more success um, I mean, the day that my publicist told me that that um, was the fact. Well, first of all, I was just super excited 
because we charted because radio touring is 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 brutal <laughs> like mm. sometimes you're doing two cities a day and so yeah i was exhausted by the time we started actually 6 months before we even sent the single to radio and so the day that i charted was just like it was a huge deal like i was out with my girlfriends and my publicist called me and like it was beers for everybody and uh <laughs> Then I found out that, um, you know, the the accolade that I was the first black female in 20 years. You know, it's funny. I think um, a lot of times when you're in it, you don't realize how big something is. And so I was like, oh, that's cool. And I didn't really think that much about it. And now looking back on it, I was like, wow, in 20 years, like that's a long time. That's a very long time. Yeah, that's two decades. And, uh, Right. And I mean, to put it into perspective now, so my single came out in 2007. There's a young lady by the name of Mickey Guyton, who is an African-American female. Um, she signed to Capitol and she put out a single two years ago and she now holds that accolade for me. And that was nine years ago. Like at the time, it was nine years. So 20 years separated me from Donna Mason in 1987 and then nine years later, Mickey Guyton. So it's cut. It's cut in half. I can see the math, you know. So, so next <laughs> next time it's gonna be five years. Yes, in five years, someone. Yeah. <laughs> we can hope. So, we can hope. Yeah, we can hope. I mean, you know, I just I think it's sad, in in a way that it still is a thing, like that. There's so far and few between. So I don't know. Yeah, and I understand it. It's uh. You know, the, the diversity in, in in any industry is very important. So we we hope that uh, that continues to spread uh, in all seriousness as time goes forward. Um, I agree. Yep, and and also I wanted to take back. Uh, I read you know an article that stated that you know at uh, age twelve you wrote your your Grammy acceptance <laughs> speech and put it in the Bible. That's some that's some serious foresight. Like how do you, how, how do you you know Think back to that time and and uh, how were you so ambitious at twelve? Like that's crazy. I'm just like I don't know. I guess I was just like like I said again. I've always known. Like um, I'm I'm very thankful in that I never had to question what my purpose was. Like I always knew, and so I've always been like very single minded as far as my music is concerned. Like. I've just always been like that. Like, I don't know how else to describe it. And so whenever I hear someone like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm like, how, really? How do you not know? So <laughs> I um, when I was 12, I think, I'm trying to remember exactly what happened. I think I, I used to watch the Grammys religiously. Like every year for as long as I can remember, I was like dead center in front of the TV. Don't talk to me. Don't move me. I'm watching the Grammys. And I would just, I would watch these performances and I was watching these artists and I was just like, that's, I have to have that. I, I have to, I have to do that. Like if that's the highest honor that an artist can receive, then I want that. So I sat down with my little diary <laughs> and I wrote out um, my thank yous because I wanted to make sure that, you know, you always see people get on stage and like, oh my God, I don't know what to say. I didn't write a speech. And they always forget people. So I was like, at 12, I'm also very um, type A. 
So, <laughs> so that was <laughs> that's another part of it. And so I was like, well, I don't want to forget anything, and I don't want to leave anybody out. So um, it has like blank spaces for thank your manager, thank your record label, and all this kind of stuff, and then like thank your mom and thank God and thank your dad and your friends and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I mean, I just was like, it was so funny. Like looking back on it now, now that I know what it takes to even get nominated and all that kind of stuff, like I was like, that's so cute. Like you're so naive. You're like, you're so, <laughs> I was so naive and I was so um, like, all right, well, I'm going to get a Grammy. So I need to write my speech. <laughs> do you still have the letter? I do. It's still in my Bible. <laughs> that's real. That's real cool. I, I really... I, I don't know. That really blew my mind when I when I read that. <laughs> yeah, no, I just I was just like, I mean, like it was funny when they told me when I first said that in an interview and the guy was like, really? I thought it was like I, would, I didn't think it was weird. Like, I didn't think it was um, out of the ordinary. I was like, doesn't everybody do that? But I guess not. So yeah, it's, <laughs> it is still it's in an envelope within 12 year old Reese writing. And it says Reese's Grammy speech. Boom, right there. I like that. I mean, that's that's incredible. At, at 12 years old, I'm, I'm pretty sure I was concerned with trying to pass homework that night. So the Grammy <laughs> speech was way out of my my uh, vision. So yeah, props to that. I mean, we, we you've taught you told us so much about you know the, your accolades in the music. I kind of want to ask just on a more uh, intimate level. You've done a lot of performances. Is there anyone in particular that to this day really sticks to you and you just you can recollect it so vividly? Um, that's a great question. You know what's funny? Okay, so this performance wasn't um it wasn't televised, I wasn't signed or anything. It's just like the magnitude of the moment was just really cool. Um there's actually two performances. Um I used I lived in New York for a short period. I moved there with um, my managers at the time when I was 19. And, um, no, I'm sorry. I moved there when I was 21. Just thought about that. Yeah. So I would, I was doing the hustle. Like I would work during the day. I had a regular job, um, like retail. And at night I would sing jingles and I would sing at open mics, like all over New York just trying to kind of get a feel for performing on my own. I just started playing the guitar. So, you know, just trying to get practice and that sort of thing. And like, not in like a high pressure situation. So um, my managers were like, you should go to the sugar bar. We keep hearing about the sugar bar. You should go. And so the sugar bar is in New York and it is owned by Ashford and Simpson. And they have been known for, you know, those who don't know, um, Ashford and Simpson are the people behind, like, Ain't No Mountain High Enough, You're All I Need to Get By, Solid as a Rock, and so on and so forth. Like, they've written some of the greatest songs ever sung. So anyway, um, I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, they do, like, a they did, like, this high-profile open mic thing, and, um, you know, sometimes people have been known to get signed from doing it. So I went... And I performed a song that I had just written. I had just gotten back from Nashville. And so this was like a brand new fledgling little song that I had never played live or anything. And I was terrified. And I walked up on stage and I started singing and I started playing it. And then all of a sudden, during like the second chorus, 
this harmony comes in and there's a man and a woman. And I turn around and look and it was Ashford and Simpson. And I was like, I'm dead. I, I could die. I'm dead. <laughs> they're on sing they're on stage singing with me. And um I just kept <laughs> like at first I stopped singing for a second and my manager was looking at me like, keep singing. So I kept singing and afterwards they, you know, pulled me off stage and we talked for a while and they were just like, It was great and you have a fantastic voice and please come back and they were it was awesome. So um, that will always stick with me because, you know, I was brand new artist and, um, you know, no name, no accolades, no nothing behind me. And like that just that gave me enough confidence to last for like the rest of the year. And um, second most favorite performance that's about the same level is um, my attorney when I was. Um, first starting out was the same attorney as Prince and uh, Londell would always say Reese one day I'm going to introduce you to Prince and I'm like okay cool whatever and because you know when somebody says that to you you're like okay yeah introduce me to Michael Jackson too while you're at it yeah (laughs) whatever and um, (laughs) so Londell asked me to perform at his Christmas party so I was there and I was playing guitar and then I had another guitar player with me I was playing these songs and all these famous people were coming in and out. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is awesome. This is like the best night ever. So all of a sudden, like these Secret Service looking dudes come in and they're like checking the perimeter and all this. And so I was thinking like this was around the time that President Clinton had moved to Harlem. So I thought maybe I was like, oh, my God, is President Clinton here? And so (laughs) that's what I thought was about to happen. And they're all like you know, secret servicing around and looking around and everything. And, um, and one of the guys was like, uh, Reese, would you mind going into this conference room? And I was like, okay. And so then Londell came behind me and we went into this conference room and then all of a sudden in walks Prince. And (laughs) I was like, Oh my God, it's you. And I didn't, I didn't know what to say. Like my insides were screaming, but my outside was like, I have to be cool. Because Prince is here and I have to Yeah, go. you can't freak out. You can't freak out. Like, I really wanted to freak out. Like, I want to freak out now just telling the story. And so um, he walks over to me and he's like, uh, why don't you play something? <laughs> In the Prince voice. In the Prince voice. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, oh and so I just started playing a song. And um, he was like, that's nice. Got another one? <laughs> and so I played, and so I played this song, and I was like dying inside. And so then he's like, "How about something else?" And so then I played another song. And so then finally he was like, "May I?" And I hand him my guitar, and then he plays like this ridiculous lick on my guitar, and then he hands it back to me, and he's like, "I like you. We'll talk." And then he walks out. <laughs> That's that's such a Prince story based on everything I've heard about him. Like, just... <laughs> yes. and so I mean, like, it's a longer story. It goes into a longer story because we ended up he we ended up talking and like it went on for like a couple years. And but I will never forget that first time. And it's like nobody. It wasn't like a lot of people in the room or anything. There were maybe like four people in the room. And you know, it's not like performing in front of a stadium of people or anything like that. But like. It was my heroes and it was people that meant a lot to me and for like those five minutes or whatever 
in their lives, they actually took the time to like, sh- I call it shine on me. Like they took a second to shine on me and, you know, it meant the world to me. And like to this day, I still feel like a giddy 20 year old girl whenever I tell the story because it, it, it meant so much to me. That is insane. Like yeah, I'd be giddy too. That'd be it. That's an incredible story. <laughs> I think like, wow, that's, that's, that's up there, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, shoot, I can go to my deathbed and I'll still be telling right? this. Why did you lead <laughs> off with that one? Because <laughs> <laughs> well, I, had, I had to save my best material for the second part. That's you know, you're saying. right. You're right. Because I mean, <laughs> if you had let off with that one, we would have been like, I'm still on the Prince story. I can't even make sense of the last <laughs> one. So. I get you. I get you. That's a nice strategy right there. It's very nice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, I mean it's really cool that now that you you're able to uh you know be on your own independent label um could you explain you know why you chose to to do the independent route so um the independent be becoming an independent artist um i kind of i didn't choose independent life independent life chose me um i so i was signed i was signed to an indie that got picked up by a major and um, I was carried over to the major. So it was uh, 1720 Records, and the distributor became Universal. And Universal started um, helping with our marketing and that sort of thing. Um, I was, I'm very thankful that I was signed because nobody would know who I was today if I hadn't been signed. So, you know, I'm very, um, extremely thankful for that. And... Um, we did a lot of, I had a lot of really wonderful experiences and a lot of great things happened to me that, um, you know, just may not have happened if I had been on my own this whole time. But we just came to a point where I no longer felt like a person and I felt instead like a, um, like an object. Mm. And you know, it was no longer about, well, Reese, what do you think? Or how do you feel? It was more so like, we need you to do this, 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 and this. And don't ask any questions about it. And yeah, I um, the final straw was I was asked to record a song that I didn't want to record, that I didn't like, that I didn't necessarily believe in. And for me, I should say, it wasn't that, you know, the song was great on its own. But I didn't think it was a good song for me. And um, I was basically told, quit being a diva and just do it. And, mm. um, you know, I I just got tired of that. I got tired of that happening. And I got tired of being treated like I didn't have an opinion that mattered. And um, I made a very hard, long thought out decision to and and also let me add it wasn't all the label's fault like there was a lot of my own bad decision making that um contributed to the conditions that I was no longer wanting to be a part of so um it was a two-way street you know there's always one side second side and then the truth so um yeah I definitely contributed to things and um anyway after a lot of soul searching and a lot of decision making, I decided that I didn't want to feel that way anymore. 
I didn't want to be unhappy when I sang. I didn't want to just feel like it was a job. Singing has never felt like a job to me except for like the last year that I was signed. And um, I knew that that wasn't good. And I started losing my voice and I started having all sorts of like health problems with my voice. And I'm a firm believer in when you're not listening, when you're not paying attention to the signs, then God will uh, make it so that you can't ignore him (laughs) anymore. And uh, yeah, and so it just got to the point where um, the signs and, and the fact that I needed a change couldn't be ignored anymore. So I left in 2009 and it took me a year to get off the label. And, um, you know, it was a lot of tears, a lot of days where I didn't want to get out of bed because, you know, the label, when you sign a deal, like every artist should realize this, that when you sign a deal with a record label, yes, you are getting exposure and millions of dollars um, invested in you, maybe. And, you know, this big machine behind you, but at the same time, you're also losing your rights to a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I lost the right to was my name for a a short period. And so I couldn't perform because they own my name. And um, so I had to get a job while I still had music on that was playing on CMT and on various radio stations, like radio stations and stuff. Like I had a video, we had licensed a video to at the Apple store. And um, so my video for no air would play in the Apple store like all day on a loop. And I was working in a store across the hallway from the Apple store. And so sometimes people would walk in and they're like, God, you look familiar. And I'm like, no, it's, it's not me. (laughs) <laughs> and my video, <laughs> and meanwhile, my video is playing across the hallway. And um, yeah, so I mean, it was rough. It was a rough year, and um, a lot of tears, a lot of um, you know, blaming myself and just being pissed off and bitter and angry and all of the above. And when I finally got out of the deal, and I was released, I wasn't sure that I wanted to do music anymore. And um, I was just like, maybe I'll just write songs. And I'll figure it out. And shortly after that, I got married. Um, I got pregnant with my daughter. And, you know, I was I was about being a housewife and being pregnant and having a baby and just seeing where that life would take me. But again, funny thing about purpose, you can't outrun your purpose. And so I just kind of got to a point where I wanted to make music again. But I didn't want to sign with a record label or any of that. So my husband and I decided that we would do a project independently. And so we needed a name. And my husband is is a bald man. He's a beautiful bald man. And, uh, <laughs> and I have a lot of hair. So we decided to name it Baldy Locks. Oh. And uh, that's where Baldy Locks comes from. We were okay. just being silly, and I was like, well, "Why don't we name it Baldy Locks?" And he was like, "That has actually- a ring to it, though." Right? <laughs> yeah, like so, a little bit, little bit, little bit. So I thought that was fun because my last company um, when I was signed was Curly Girly, so it's always with the hair, but always. Uh, mm-hmm. always. So anyway, so I um, so we did a children's album in 2012, 
And uh, yeah, it was under Baldy Locks. And so ever since then, I just kind of applied all the knowledge that I got from all the good stuff that I got from being signed and all the things that I learned and a lot of the relationships that I was able to retain from being signed. Um, I was able to kind of bring those back to the table and um, we did the children's album and, you know, we call it team little engine that could like we were able to do so many things just off of the strength of us just sitting around, like, you know, when the baby wasn't crying or when I wasn't making dinner, like just making phone calls or sending emails. And the same thing with my husband, when he got off work, he would sit up for hours and just shoot emails to people and try to get the CD in all these in different stores and like things like that. So with the experience of doing that, we kind of like, okay, So let's not do this. Let's not spend money on this. Let's definitely spend money on this and let's do this and blah, blah, blah. We did um, my adult record, um, the Backport Sessions, which came out in 2015. And I mean, like the first week it was out, we ended up in Rolling Stone. So, you know, I'm living proof that you don't necessarily have to have a record deal to have great things happen. So, um, yeah, I was very reluctant to be independent but now i can't imagine doing it any other way neither can we after hearing that story that's amazing (laughs) right there i mean glad to hear some redemption you know definitely had me worried a little bit when you said i I don't know if i want to be music like oh no how would this end and of course (laughs) we're on an interview with you but that's how that's how in depth i was in um, so I want to take it back to the, uh, the actual album you just last spoke about, the Back Porch Sessions EP. Now, when you were making that project, you describe it as kind of like a homage to your beginnings. And actually, uh, some of your fondest memories as a child are kind of like the, the blueprint behind that. Could you tell yeah. us why it was necessary for you to get this album out and what do you hope listeners will learn or gain from it? Um, the Back Porch Sessions is like... How can I describe it? Um, Have you ever been in a situation where like you thought of the perfect thing to say like five minutes after the moment passed? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what Backport Sessions was for me. Like it was like, oh my God, I have to get this out. I have to say this. And it was the direction that I wanted to go on a second album had I had the opportunity to make the second album with the label. Um, it was a sound that I had been wanting to explore. It wasn't the straight ahead pop country that my first album was. It was more of this like, like soulful country hybrid and, um, which I call, I now call Southern soul. And that felt more true to me than anything that I had ever done before. And it was just like, it was just all these things. I wanted to talk about my mother Um, who passed away when I was seven. And I wanted to talk about my grandmother who had since, who was in my first video um, for my first single for Country Girl and who has since passed. And I wanted to talk about the little town that they both were from. I wanted to talk about my husband. I want, you know, because like now I'm married. Like the first album, I was a single girl and looking for love and all these things. And like now I'm a mother and I'm a grown up and, you know, I just I, all these new feelings and emotions and, and, and ideas that I didn't have when I was 25 years old. And um, 
it was just like it was a statement that had been like seven years in the making. And um and it was an album that I couldn't have made if I wasn't independent. Because it's kind of like this genreless thing. And so, you know, any label would be like, I don't even know what to do with this. So yeah, I mean, I, I just felt like it was time to, if this is the last thing that I could do, because one of the things you know when you're an independent artist is that money does not grow on trees. And yeah. so you have to make your statements, your musical statements wisely. You have to choose, pick and choose the things that you're able to pay for and the things that, you know, you feel are necessary. So I was like, if 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 I am never able financially to make another record, this is the perfect period on, you know, the, the sentence that I've been writing since I was 16. And, um, yeah, I, I got an opportunity to talk about my family. I got an opportunity to talk about my husband. My daughter is singing on the first single and, um, for on sweet, sweet love. And that's her that, that starts singing in the beginning. And um, I mean, it was just, it was a labor of love from the moment we started writing until the last note was recorded. And I got to record with like my favorite people in the world. And so, you know, it was, I was happy. And I was like, if nobody likes this, I love it. So yeah, it, it made me really happy. And it was short. That was the other thing. Like I wanted to make like a very focused um, statement and it didn't need to be 12 songs long. And yeah, that was that's the back porch sessions in a nutshell. Like all of those things, new sound, new life, new Reese, all encapsulated in five songs. <laughs> new album, who this? Yeah. <laughs> who this? <laughs> that's great that the family can get together and make a make an EP together. That's that's something you don't hear every day. Oh no, I mean like you know I got to um, originally. Like there was a clip of my grandmother uh, sharing like her wisdom of life. My grandmother helped raise me. Like she was everything to me. And um, so when she passed, it was really rough. And I had video of her um, just imparting some of her wisdom. And it's priceless. And we put it on there at first and then we ended up taking it off. But... Um, you know, the last song on the EP, Somerville, is about her, it's about my great-grandmother, and it's about my mother. And, um, you know, and 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 it kind of full circle in that the album starts with my daughter as the first voice that you hear, and it ends with a song about my mother and my grandmother and my great-grandmother. So, yeah, it's really special to me in that way. No, that's very special, and I'm, I'm glad you're able to uh, get that project out there. And I also, you know, wanted you to get the opportunity to, you know, explain to our listeners, you know, what what's next? What else do you have going on? So right now I'm in the middle of writing a new album. Um, it's called Revival. And Revival is, again, I have grown. I'm looking at things differently. Like the last couple of years, as far as um, society is concerned, have been kind of a trip. And um, it started for me with um, Mike Brown and Ferguson. Mm-hmm. I, I'm very familiar with Ferguson being from St. Louis. And so I was, um, I was very much, I was very captivated by the story and by the news 
during that whole period. I mean, like, I remember the day it happened, my newsfeed, people from St. Louis, like people that had pictures that weren't even on CNN yet. And yeah, so I, I mean, I felt very close to that story. Like I felt like very invested in that story, I should say. And then shortly after that, there was Eric Garner and then Tamir Rice. And then before all of them, Trayvon Martin. And so I just, you know, and, and with Obama leaving and with um, the election of a new president and all the drama that went along with that, I just felt like it was irresponsible of me as an artist if I didn't talk about it, if I didn't find a way to say something. And so this album is like my opportunity to say something. So it started with a song called Seeds um, that's from a Mexican proverb that says, they tried to cut us down, they didn't realize that we were seeds. And I just looked at it from the perspective of Black people, Muslim people, um, uh, white people, women, children. We're all seeds. And we can all be seeds of change. And so that's what the song is about, being a seed of change and standing up. And um, we're just I'm just kind of going from there. So I'm like right in the middle of it. I'm about four songs deep. I think this is going to be a longer project than Backport Sessions. I'm hoping to get in the studio to start recording all this stuff, like in the summer. And uh, I would like to have it out before the year is over. And I already have like video ideas and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm 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 knee deep in writing right now. And I'm also working on a duet project with an artist um, from St. Louis. His name is Brian Owens. He just released a uh, released an album last week uh, called "The Soul of Ferguson," but um, he's awesome. He's he's a great singer, great person, and uh, we met working on a different project, and we liked working together so much that we decided that we're going to do something. So our thing is called Sunday Morning, and um, we're working on a five song EP right now. So I am deep in recording and writing mode right now. Well, that's what's up. I think I speak for, you know, the listeners and definitely, of course, we say we're looking forward to it. Uh, We're definitely looking forward to seeing what you have cooked up with such a riveting subject matter. But, Miss Reese, I mean, you've been amazing. Like, you've kind of, like, taken the show and made it your own. I, I think I think me and my coach just literally sat here and just with our with our jaws hanging open, like wow, like. But so I much mean, insight, right? A lot of insight, but I mean, it's it's time for the famous educator hustle two piece, and that's what we ask you the final two questions. First question, always easy. How can the people get in contact with you? Oh, I am very easy to get in contact with. You can find me at www.reesepalmermusic.com. And Reese is spelled R-I-S-S-I and then P-A-L-M-E-R music. Um, I'm also on Facebook, Reese Palmer Official. And I'm on Instagram as Reese Palmer. I post lots of pictures of food and shows and shoes and my child. Um <laughs> The essentials, the the important things. And um, yeah, I mean, those are the two best places or three best places, I should say, that you can find me. All my music is available on Spotify um, and iTunes. So check it out. 
Hey, that's what we like to hear. You got options and the easy ones, too. All right. So the last question, no pressure, just the last question, just, you know, what our listeners are going to hear as the last words from you. What are some parting words that you can leave with our audience today? Gosh, you know what? The best thing I've heard in the last couple of days, um, I was listening to DJ Jazzy Jeff just put out um, like a mixtape kind of thing. I think it was called the Goosebumps Project or something like that. And there's a introduction on the record. And one of the like just profound things stopped me in my tracks was he's like, die empty. Hmm. In other words, like just give give everything now while you can. Like don't wait for what you think is the perfect moment or the perfect time or, you know, for you to be the right size, or for you to have the right amount of money. Like just just give everything every day at every opportunity that you have because you don't know if it's going to be your last and die empty. So I'm, I'm going to live that. And I hope everybody else lives that as well. Boom. 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 <laughs> That's how you end it right there. Some very symbolic wordplay. And I really hope everyone takes that message to heart. Miss Reese Palmer. It's been such a blessing to have you on the show today. You have been truly amazing. And I mean, I think, we're just excited just to see where you're going to take your career next. Because, I mean, I think this is just the beginning. You know, I think you have so much more you can do, and we're just here for it, all of it. Well, thank you so much for having me. You guys are great. You ask great questions. And there you have it, folks. That was Miss Reese Palmer delivering that Southern soul. What you think, man? Man, I think that was amazing. Like, definitely came in there and did not expect all that heat, right? That Prince story by itself was amazing. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, she did a great job. I think she really put into great words the experience of the whole independent, non-independent, being with a record label or a deal that we always hear about. And, you know, it's it's great to hear that she's found success outside the record label because, you know, that's definitely where it's at. And I'm just excited for it. I think she really gave a great breakdown of her career. And I'm excited to see where she goes next. Me too, man. And to be able to drop a project with her, with her family uh, is really inspiring as well. So... You know she's she's doing her thing like you said in the independent in, uh, in an independent uh, as an independent artist, and the sky's the limit, man. We see Chance out here balling, so you know why not why not Reese? You're right. I was like trying so hard not to say that man's name because I didn't want to take shine away. But yeah, Chance is a great example of <laughs> independent artists doing it big. But yeah, man, she's a she's an amazing person, and we're so glad we were able to sit down and just pick her brain for a little bit time that we had. But Anyways, it's time for you guys to pick our brain and what is undoubtedly your favorite part of the whole Educate Hustle experience. How you, yes you, can reach us. Educate Hustle can be reached with a variety of different means on social media. We are on Snapchat at Educate Hustle. Once again, that is Educate Hustle, all one word. We post snaps, we'll reveal a little behind the scenes things to keep you inspired, keep you motivated, and keep you on your toes. You can also Follow us on Instagram at Educator Hustle Podcast. Once again, that is Educator Hustle Podcast. There, same deal. Photos and photos and more photos of inspirational things, episode updates and highlights, and just overall good vibes. You can also, also, also follow us on 
Twitter at Educator underscore Hustle. Once again, that is Educator underscore Hustle. There we do daily actions, tweets, and things of that nature just to get you in the mood of inspiration and hustle. And of course, it's probably going to be your best and quickest ways to reach us because it goes right to our phone. Now, before I begin more plugging, let me get back into some more plugging. <laughs> we can also please advise everyone, review us on iTunes. It's a real easy process. All you have to do is go to the iTunes app or iTunes store, find their podcast section, search Educate a Hustle. You'll see our logo come up. Click that, go to reviews, and hit write a review. Give us five stars, preferably, but you know, choice is always your. And then write a few words to get people excited about us. We urge you, please, please, please go and do this because the more reviews that we get, the higher we climb up the iTunes popularity chart, which gives us more listeners, which then gives us bigger and better guests. So if you like the Educate Us experience and you want to see it, go somewhere. Please, please, please leave and write us a review. We see the review count going up. Be the reason why. Don't be on the sidelines. All right, enough of that plugging. Let's try to get into even more plugging. We are also on Facebook. You can follow, like our page at Educate a Hustle. That's two words, Educate a Hustle. You know you've reached the right place because you'll see the logo that you all know and love. And of course, last but never least, if you feel like that we gave you something well, monumentous on the tip of your heart. We really did something, gave you that spiritual and emotional guidance. You can email us at educatehustlepodcast at gmail.com. Once again, that's educatehustlepodcast at gmail.com. We accept all inquiries, collabs. If you got something you want to say, email us and we will respond for sure. Yes, sir. And you got to give the people what they came here for, man. Lead us out. People, people, let Reese's story tell you how you should be living your life. Do not, do not, do not give up. Even in her darkest moments where she had to work across from the Apple store watching her music video all day, she did not let that defeat her. She said, I'm going to do better, and she did better. And I mean, you know, everyone has those moments where they see their potential, but they're afraid to go after it or unsure of themselves. You can't be. You have to go after it. You need to be the person that you have to be because only you can fulfill your own destiny. Don't live a life of what if. Live a life of what can I do next. So that's my urge to all of you out this week. Think about what you can do next. Put it into action and make your life even greater. And as always, you got to stay educated and keep hustling. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.